So, welcome to A Moment with Eric Fleming. I'm your host, Eric Fleming. And um, I guess today is going to be an interesting day as I'm recording this. Um, Because... Everything really is in a state of flux right now. It's kind of hard to believe that with all of the symbolism going on at the Capitol, at the U.S. Capitol, that... um, We just have people that have been elected to office, not just in this past election, but some have been in for a long time, who really have no sense of conscience at all. And I mean, it's been pretty obvious how divided the country has gotten. Um, Whether you call it ideology or just plain racism, um, this country is really, really divided. And it's not looking any better anytime soon. But usually when you really start going after a problem, once you really identify something, whether it's a cold or whether it's um, systemic racism, right? Um, It's going to get worse before it gets better, but it's got to be dealt with, right? It's got to be treated. And that's how you start flushing it out. Um, Getting it out of your system and you get better. So, That's kind of, I think, where we are now. I think we're at an incredible point where we're flushing this stuff out. Um, And I don't know. Um, I would hope that once this is over with, that we're back to a... Or we, well, I shouldn't say back to. So we should get to a point in a political system where we're really going at it about ideas and not so much about um, who we're trying to exclude. Because I think for too long in the American political system, the parties have been defined about who they've kept out as opposed to who they've let in. And um, I have a contention that the political parties embrace people that they never should have embraced 
one party finally got rid of him and then the other party gladly sucked him up, right? And um, they have a voice. They've always maintained a voice. And it's been hell and high water to get black people to have a voice in the political party. We we had a voice in the Republican Party. Um, and we strategically decided we were going to infiltrate the Democratic Party to deal with those insurgents back then those racists back then that controlled the Democratic Party, especially in the South. And now we've basically taken over the Democratic Party, not just in the South, but nationally, uh, with our money, with our votes, with our talent. And um, which leaves the folks that we were trying to drive out of politics altogether, um, gave them an opportunity to have a new home in the Republican Party. And now the Republican Party, who really, really wanted to embrace these people, right? So they could have a chance nationally to get the White House every four years. Now they're dealing with the repercussions of that in a society that's a lot more aware than, say, a hundred years ago. Um, and, uh, They're, they're, they're trying to figure out how to make that happen, right? So, you know, like last podcast, I was basically saying about this Taylor Green woman, just let her be. But they didn't, right? And so now it came down to Republicans within the House of Representatives saying, if the leader, this guy named Kevin McCarthy from California, if he decides to punish Taylor Green, MTG, right? Decides to punish her, then he needs to punish Liz Cheney for voting to impeach a Republican president. And Liz is kind of like number three in the food chain when it comes to Republican leadership in the House. Um, and he has no intention of doing that. And so um, that means that if he's not going to do that to Representative Cheney, then that means he's not going to do anything to Representative Taylor Greene. Which means that the Democrats are going to take action and basically remove her from all the committees. 
and it's going to be strictly partisan, right? Which will set a president down the road that when the Republicans take over and if AOC or Presley or Tlaib or any one of them are still in Oman, then they're going to remove them from the community. I mean, that's just, that's just how they operate right now. That's the mindset right now until there's a change in the mindset. And, um, You know, these people that the Republicans embrace, most of them align themselves in a smaller group called the Freedom Caucus. Some of them came in during the Tea Party stuff, which was the initial backlash to Barack Obama being president. The media did their best to not recognize the Tea Party for what it was. Um, they did their best to make sure that they tried to highlight certain things. They, they followed what the Tea Party was giving them, uh, as far as the taxes and this libertarian bent that they supposedly had and all that. The reality was, this was a backlash against a black man becoming president of the United States. And it was the first sign of what led to 11 years later, you saw it all foment on January the 6th, 2021. To the point now where you actually have white politicians getting on microphones and in newspapers and in radios, uh, TVs. And they're basically stating that uh, white supremacy has to end. Institutional racism, systemic racism has to end. And they have the total power to make that happen. Um, and it's an incredible soundbite for anybody of color, especially a black person to hear in their lifetime. But what action is getting ready to happen, right? How do the people who have, well, I guess it would make sense that people who instituted systematic racism should be able to end it, right? Um, And so that's part of what all this drama is. Um, but I was watching the, I was watching the um, ceremony for Offner Sicknick. Uh, he was the officer who. was at the insurrection and allegedly one of the rioters hit him in the head with a fire extinguisher. Now, Sicknick was a tough dude, um, 
he didn't leave right away. Um, he stayed and finished his duty there. And he made it to the made it to his his station. I guess wherever the Capitol Police uh, are headquartered, where he could you know change clothes and all that. Um, and that's where he fell out later that evening, never to recover. And by the next day, he had died. Um, so his remains, because he was cremated, his remains were allowed to lay in the Capitol. Um, and then he was supposed to be buried, interred at um, Arlington National Cemetery. So he's the third U.S. Capitol officer to lie in state, lie in honor at the um, at the rotunda, and. I was watching one particular network and they were the guy who was speaking was a black man, uh, Eddie Gloud, who's um, renowned professor, uh, very articulate, very dynamic academician who deals with racial, the racial history of this country very well. Um, he articulates it very well, for sure. Um, when you listen to him talk about Officer Sicknick, who he didn't really know until this happened. But he listened to the way he was talking about him and the sacrifice he made. He gave his life, try to protect the members of Congress in that U.S. Capitol building. Um, if you if you understood what he was saying. And you understood his uh, his uh, inflections and all that. Then you understood that he was talking to him or talking about him um, like a. civil rights leader, you know? And um, 
it was just really interesting to hear those that inflection and that dynamic, right? Um, because that that really leads me to another point, and we'll get to that on the other side. All right, so we're back. And so one of the things I wanted to continue on, um, I was talking about how Eddie Glaude, the professor, Dr. Glaude, was using the inflection and um, was speaking of Officer Signick as the officer who died and was laying in honor at the Capitol. Uh, he he spoke of him as a martyr in a in a civil rights movement, and I, and I was setting that up, but then I cut it off because I, I really um, wanted to kind of close that out and 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 really dive into it a little more with a little more time, right? Um, and he he said something in in talking about Signic and talking about um where we are. And he specifically said that Officer Sicknick died defending the soul of America. And I hope people that understand that really understand the magnitude of what this man was saying. Because what you know, we we've heard political pundits talking about this battle between the Taylor Greens and the Liz Cheneys within the Republican Party now, um, which this battle really has been kind of going on ever since the embracing of the Tea Party people in 2010. And even prior to that, the George Wallace types for the Southern strategy. Um, but it's come to a head now with the, with the Trump four-year term. Trump presidency for, you know, um, and you've heard these political pundits talking about the soul of the Republican Party, right? Um, you know, who's going to prevail? Um, those people like George Will and, well, but then, you know, Will and all them folks left, right? But people like that who really defined 
conservatism, you know, as Goldwater laid it out in 64, as W.F. Buckley, William Buckley did in the 60s and 70s. Um, And they really They really tried to embrace people. And I think a lot of them tried to indoctrinate people. And what ended up happening is that they got indoctrinated, right? They got flipped. And the Republican Party is this amalgamation of conservative ideologues and historical losers, right? That especially of the Confederate ilk, right? That have permeated this party to the point where now anybody that's of color that joins the Republican Party, people from their respective cultures look at them like, what exactly are you embracing, right? I mean, there's room for people of color to have conservative viewpoints, right? Doesn't matter, black, Asian, Latino, is what it is, right? Because a human mind is a human mind. And so if you put out ideals and people understand these set of ideals better than the other ones, then they're gonna embrace the ideals they understand, right? And that's all based on your life experience, based on your educational background, all these, all those factors, right? Your religion or lack thereof, right? I mean, all that incorporates into your political thought, whether people want to admit that or not, right? Because your thoughts are your thoughts. Um. But it's hard to watch people do time and time again things that jeopardize the uplift or the mobility, the upward mobility of people of color, especially African-Americans, right? Just even, not even so much the upper mobility as it is the standard of life. See, America is defined, right? Since we're talking about soul of America, America is defined by the premise that because we value humanism, we value your right to be in existence. That because of that, we have an economic system which not only embraces your humanism, but allows you to make the most of it in a capital sense. 
in in a way to achieve as much as you want to achieve, attain the wealth you want to attain, live the life you want to live, right? Now we have certain industries that, you know, or certain guidelines that are either unethical or immoral or illegal, right? And how you attain your wealth, but it all depends on which mores you break and which ethics you violate um, that would slow that down, your growth, right? But the ideal thought is that you being a human being, that you have the right for life, liberty, and the pursuit of your happiness, right? That you can, and you can, part of your happiness is attaining wealth. That's the premise that America is, that every citizen has that opportunity to do so. Heck, people that are not citizens have an opportunity to do so. People would prefer that once you realize what opportunity America offers you, you would want to stay and be a citizen. But the beauty of America is that you can do that. And, uh, and not necessarily be, um, not necessarily be a citizen, um, but be able to legally achieve a lifestyle you want to leave, live while you're here, right? And when you say lifestyle, it's not about like how many houses or it's like a lifestyle, like where do you want to live? What neighborhood do you want to live in? What city or what suburb or what rural area do you want to live in? Uh, What schools do you want your children to attend? What church do you want your family to attend? What... um, What restaurants do you want to go to when you want to go out to eat? What food do you want to buy where you don't want to go out? Um, What movies do you want to watch? What sports do you want to watch? Um, All these different things, right? Because it's all supposed to be about a lifestyle. It's all supposed to be about how you want to live your life. If you want to travel the world, then you ought to be able to do that. If you want to pursue a dream to run a triathlon, you got to be able to do that, right? That's kind of like what this soul of America thing is. Um, Be able to identify as who you want to identify with, right? And of course, we have extremes with that, but It's a basic premise that the soul of America is that every American ought to be able to live 
as an American, uh, to live that American dream, achieve that American dream, right? Get the house, get the get the the the, the spouse, the 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 job, the the wealth, the security, the car, the community, any anything that you you seek to have, right? And even if you want to stay in the community that you grew up in, that you want to see that community improve, right? If it wasn't that good, you want to be in a position to help make it better, right? And it shouldn't be any impediments, whether it's community inflicted or society inflicted, right? To stop you from achieving any of that. So when you have somebody say that there was this person who died fighting for the soul of America, right? Fighting for those dreams and a system where those dreams are not deferred, where those dreams are not destroyed, where those dreams are not discouraged, right? That's pretty heavy stuff. And it paints a picture that the people who killed him don't want to see the soul of America succeed. They don't want to see the soul of America thrive or if they're fighting for control of that soul, how dark a place will America be, right? So, you know, I, I had said, let, let so-and-so be, let her do her thing. Let him do their thing. Let them be on the losing side of history and we be on the winning side, right? I mean, that's kind of where I was going with that. What I'm I'm curious about now is are we really embracing this high ideal that's being put out there? Uh, are we ready to do that? Are we ready to really fight for the soul of America? Are we really ready to be the conscience? And when I say we, I'm talking about black people. Not, you know, I mean, other ethnic groups, you know, Latinos, Asians, they've been fighting their own battles and their struggle is different historically and systematically even. Uh, even Native Americans have a different struggle than Blacks because whereas we were ripped from our land, Native Americans' land was ripped from them. So that's a whole different struggle, right? And for once, there's going to be somebody as a Native American that's going to be over the agency that, quote unquote, 
regulates them or governs them, which I have never agreed with. I don't think that Native Americans should be under the Department of Interior. I think they should be under the Department of State. You're going to recognize them in each one of these areas that you've carved out through American apartheid as tribal reservations. If you recognize them as nations and you sign treaties with them to uh, engage in just having casino activity on their land, right? Then that should be the Department of State, not the Department of Interior in the same department where you're regulating Yellowstone National Park or the Dr. King Historical Center in Atlanta. Nonetheless, different struggle, right? So I think But because of all of the stuff, and and you know, this is this is Black History Month now. As I'm recording this, this is in February, and so, and and the 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 Earth has revolved a whole nother rotation in my life, right? Black people have a unique opportunity to be the conscience of America, the soul of America, as we really have been collectively, but in assuming that mantle, especially embracing that mantle 50 some years ago, the conflicts within have been tremendous. When you look at how Atlanta is a city that embraces black celebrity, but the more celebrated you are, the more of a target you become. Um, how Chicago, a city that is supposed to be the city of big shoulders and the city of work and the city of defining what America really is about, right? The salt of the earth type people. And every year, 500 black people are murdered. And at some point, if it hasn't had a major impact, it will. You just cannot continue to have that amount of loss of life and be able to sustain anything, right? How can you be the soul of a community when you really don't even have a community or community of soul and, and you are barely existing. How do we accept the challenge of being and fighting for and demanding our place it's the soul of America. With all of this stuff we've got going on internally ourselves. 
Because our struggle is not an ideological struggle. Our struggle is real. It's a have, have not. It's lack of acknowledging that we're our brother's keepers. Right? So it's kind of lofty for us to be saying after some political victories and you know, some other achievements that we're the soul of America and we're fighting for it. Whereas the question is that was posed by WB Du Bois is still out there. What are we doing for the souls of black folks? So we're fighting a two-pronged fight, which is a fight that we've been fighting for a long time. And it seems as though that we are in a position where the powers that be understand that they have wielded that power unfairly and oppressively even. And we have a chance to make some headway. But if we're going to do that, if we're going to fight for the soul of America, if we're going to redefine what that is, what that looks like, then we have to we have to redefine the soul. We have to fight for the soul of Black America. Whereas we have one man lying in honor at the U.S. Capitol in one city alone, we're having 500 funerals a year of young black men and young black women. Oh, and did I mention we're in the middle of a pandemic that disproportionately attacks us and other people of color. And we're not getting the resources we need to fight it. Yeah, it's time for us to fight for the soul of America. It's been a long time. But we got to continue to fight for the souls of black folks. And we and we have to fight as vigorous, if not even more. And we have to go after the people who are trying to destroy us within as we're going after the people who are trying to destroy us from without.
Familiarity breeds contempt, but familiarity also breeds complacency. And we just have to stop that. We have to, we have to stop that. We can no longer afford to be complacent anymore with our own folks. We can no longer be tolerant of behavior that is destructive within our community. No matter how hip it seems or cool. I mean, if you declared that sagging pants is cool, then you can undeclare that, right? I mean, it's it's a trend. And, and some people got to do that. Some point people got to do that. I don't know when, but at some point people got to do that because if we are going to take advantage of an opportunity to really move the needle forward as far as where we are in the big picture of America, then we got to work we got to work like the devil within to make sure we're ready for that. And if we're killing each other at, at an incredible clip, we're destroying our communities at an incredible clip. If we don't value education the way that it needs to be valued, if we don't, we don't uplift people who are not entertainers, right? Then it's going to be hard for us to take advantage of that. And I hope people get that. You know, I think people, people have positioned themselves individually to be ready for the moment, but there's no real collective the collective is still playing defense. Stop beating and tasing and shooting our children if you are in the law enforcement community, right? Stop denying me an opportunity to get an apartment, let alone a house. Stop making the school where my children go to inferior to the schools that other kids go to. Stop doing that. That's We're still playing defense, which is part of what challenging systematic racism is all about, right? But it's hard to convince somebody to build a brand new school is if the mindset of the people in the community is just to tear it up. It's hard to say, let's clean up the neighborhood and 
put all this infrastructure in for sidewalks and parks and uh, community centers and all that. And people act like they're allergic to trash cans and they can't find them. They can find the street. They can't find the trash can. And if they do find a trash can, the people who are supposed to clean it out can't find it, right? So they basically are littering too as the trash cans overflow. Just little things. You know? You refer to Christmas holiday as robbing season. Not giving, robbing. These are things that we can control. These are things that we can stop doing. People talk about, oh, they deposited guns in our community and drugs in our community and what part did you not have an opportunity to say no? You left guns in the community and so we had to get them. You left drugs in our community so we had to sell them. We had to, right? Now, black folks made guns. It is what it is. So, anyway. You know. We're going to fight for the soul of America. Then we got to fight for our soul. Until next time.